This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Hey everyone, it's Robert here. I'm joined on this episode by Mike Pritz, Brian Cole, and Scott Kinder, and we get the great opportunity to speak with Otis McGregor. He'll tell a little bit about himself at the beginning of this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mentors for Military. You have been hanging on high schoolers, man. That's <laughs> My legs are too damn skinny for ranger panties. I wish I could fit in those things, but I look like one of those uh, birds, you know, that cranes or whatever that you see floating around flamingo yeah no not a flamingo (laughs) (laughs) you open the door man i just went through it (laughs) otis it might be great for you to to share a little bit about your background and history man so that everybody will get a chance to to know more about all the great things that you did while you were on active duty sure sure i uh i enlisted in the guard of texas army national guard as a tanker while i was at texas a&m uh, to get some experience and then got uh, an opportunity to jump into an air cav scout uh, unit. Did that for my last two years in the guard. Got commissioned as a uh, as an engineer officer, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, but uh, had some fun with it. Got posted up to Fairbanks, Alaska at Fort Wainwright and learned to live in the uh, Arctic and survive in the Arctic. Uh, up there building ice bridges in, in the wintertime and uh, uh, building shoot houses in the summertime. And volunteered for SF, uh, went through went through the Q course and, gosh, somebody asked me this the other day, 92, 93, something like that. Uh, got out here to Fort Carson as like the eighth or ninth guy from 10th group to Fort Carson. I, I claimed that I was a group commander for a day and a half uh, and then got uh, retrograded back to my team, fortunately, uh, back at Devons and uh, hooked up with my team there. Uh, came out here, team moved out here, and uh, we we immediately deployed to Haiti with uh, the Polish Grom. Had a really uh, interesting time there doing that. Uh did some time as a Orsa guy, following uh, following my team time, and I, didn't, I won't go into all the fun stuff I did as a team guy because I'll make you all jealous. Uh, <laughs> I'm still doing it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh well, Norway, Switzerland, uh, France, uh, Haiti. Well, Haiti wasn't really a good thing, but all the really hot spots of the world, man. Oh yeah, Norway, Switzerland, France. Yeah, yeah. So I had to pay the piper back and go go do ORSA stuff in the DC area, uh, working for, uh, I guess it's now called the first IO command. It was Lewa when I was there back in the day, uh, managed to finagle my way in, into, uh, Kosovo while I was there. And then, uh, got back here and commanded Charlie 210 and did my staff time. Uh, went to Kosovo again while we was doing that. And then uh, finagled my uh, pulled in another favor and got to got to go to Spacecom and then pulled in yet one more favor to keep from going to Omaha, uh, which the whole purpose of Spacecom and not going to Omaha was staying here in Colorado Springs. Uh, and then uh, <clears throat> did the Northcom thing for a while. Uh, Northcom sod at the time. Uh, went over to Sockier and got to do some 
a lot of fun stuff from uh, uh, working with the Iraqi National Counterterrorism Force to standing up NATO soft headquarters. Came back here to Northcom and uh, retired as they were started talking about making a sock and then went into the business development contracting world for eight years, seven years, seven, eight years. Uh, made a had a self-reflection moment about a year and a half ago and decided that uh, the reason I couldn't hold down a job at, uh, at any of the companies I was with is because it wasn't, there was no satisfaction. Uh, I didn't enjoy it at all. So I uh, switched, uh, started discovering what I, what I really love. And that was coaching, coaching my boys high school rugby team. And I knew I wasn't going to, going to pursue that as a profession. So did some research and discovered uh, business coaching and got into business coaching, did the training, did my certification. And along with that decision to get into business coaching, I also decided I wanted to give back to uh, the community that had given me everything. So uh, about uh, about halfway into my course, I started uh, pro bono coaching veteran entrepreneurs with uh, through Patriot Boot Camp and uh, the Veterans in Residence program here in Denver, and that's uh, and at some point along the way, I met Scott. Uh, that's a really one of those who do you know who sort of stories and LinkedIn connection and a couple of Skype calls. The next thing I know, I'm part of the uh, Certified Project Manager team here in the U.S. with uh, IPM. Yeah, sounds like a good gig, man. Well, the name like Otis McGregor, somewhere along the way, man, you had to be a badass because, you know, McGregors are well known for being ruthless and kind of a bit of a rebel. Um, so no doubt about it. Uh, you've lived up to the name for sure with all the things you've done. <laughs> I've had some fun. And, uh, yeah, there's some stories back there uh, of of some of those things that would fit that description of, yeah, we're not going to do it that way. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, when we were talking on the phone, we started talking about leadership a whole lot. And one of the things you started talking about is some of the messages that you gave to, um, to the youth there and your approach to the leadership style with the rugby team. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, one of the things about rugby is I, I never played until last year. I played my first game after coaching for seven years. Uh, but the, the great thing about the game is it takes 15 players to win. It's not like football or basketball or even baseball where, where one stud athlete can win the game for you and carry the team. Rugby takes all 15. And what that means is you have to operate as a team. You can't focus on, oh, I'm just going to wait for somebody to give me the ball because you have to do the hard work to get to the ball, to get to where you can score, to set your teammates up to score. And that's what it's really about. And, and what I do with my boys in, in rugby is I put the responsibility on them. I tell them to make decisions. I give them responsibilities to make the decisions. I set them up. I don't just toss them out there. We spend hours and hours and hours practicing situations and scenarios. But when that first whistle blows for a match, it's all on them. I learned a long time ago. I can stand on the sideline and, and yell and scream the entire game. And the chance that any of them hear me is, is slim to none. Or even if they hear me, whether or not they even pay attention to what I'm saying. 
So I started setting the kids up and I make them responsible for what they're doing. Tell them to be decisive. Tell them not to wait around. Make a decision. Doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Make that decision. When we watch the game film, then we discuss the benefits or, or why that decision could have been better, why it was wrong, why you did a really good job at that point when you made that decision to run with the ball or to pass the ball or, or to go into the ruck instead of standing out waiting for the ball, those sort of things. Otis, so something comes to mind when you say these things is as that kind of the game of rugby translates into – veteran entrepreneurship and as you coach them i mean i am that uh, right now i'm entrepreneuring a tool that i uh, i own the ip to called the breach pen and then doing some other stuff and i'm just curious you know one of the things that's been a hallmark of my success so far has been other people coming alongside me and is that something that you're able to coach people kind of to as a veteran because i feel like a veteran can become very kind of recluse in their their efforts but do you see added value when they partner with people, when they build relationships? No, that's, that's a great point, Brian. And, and uh, that's actually something I, I've worked on uh, with all the veteran entrepreneurs I've coached is, is one, everything that you've learned, whether you did one tour or 30 years, all that stuff translates. All the problems solving, all the ways that you understand a problem, all translates to the business world. You just got to learn how to speak it. Don't throw that stuff out. Don't try to learn new systems and tools. Translate what you know into the business system. That's number one. Number two is you're not alone. Stay with your veteran community. Identify a veteran community. You know, with, with SF guys, it's pretty easy. We have the association and we're really tight in that association. But there's plenty of other veteran communities out there, uh, whether, whether you are just a, a truck driver or not. Get involved with the veteran community so you don't lose that that kinship. Uh, I mean, that for me, that was the number one thing that I, I missed the day I stepped away was the quality of the people I worked with day in, day out, and the fact that I could have that relationship, the kind of relationships that we had uh, for all those years. Those are the two things that just went poof the day I stepped away. So trying to find find a way to uh, fill that void, whether it's a buddy that you were in the service with that you go fishing or hunting with all the time or a larger organization. Don't, don't, the point is don't walk away from it and don't forget it. That's good. I was going to jump on the, the athletic part of this because, uh, also as a coach and as a rookie coach this year, man, I, I struggled a lot working with young kids. Uh, but, but the one thing I, the one thing that I try to teach these kids, and it's not just me, it's a lot of a lot of people in the program, is and I think it translates to what you were saying, Brian, and Otis to, to coaching, you know, veterans looking for something else as well, is uh you've got two choices when you show up. You can be you can be consistent or you can be occasional. Um if you're if you're an athlete, you're a player, and you're you're an occasional athlete, you know, you're you're never going to really accomplish much. Uh, but if you're consistent, if you're there every day, if you come to practice every day, uh, if you if you do the, the the rehearsals that we're doing in in practice for the games, uh, if you're studying game films, um, then then your performance on Friday night and Saturday morning is going to be a lot better. But if you're an occasional football player, uh, you're not you're not going to make it. Same same thing as a student. Our students are the same way. If you're an occasional uh, student, 
uh, and you show up into the classroom and you do stuff two or three times a week, man, you're not you're not making the commitment enough to to to, to learn and to grow. And I, I think that I think that those two things kind of apply over a broad range of topics. And they do. One thing that I'll tap onto that, Mike, as well is you know. I don't want to jump in with the coaching thing as well, but I coach a couple of soccer teams in Australia too for younger kids. And um, what I try and tell the kids all the time, you know, parents come up to me and say, you know, well, he's putting a lot of hours in the ball and he's putting a lot of hours in the field. I'm like, it's not, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule is great, but you have to be deliberate and intentional in what you're doing. And, and, you know, you have to, you have to have a plan and you have to work the plan and you have to be deliberate in what you're trying to do because just putting time on the field, if you're mucking around and, and just playing, you know, with friends and diving all around, that's not going to make you a better player and that's one of the things that all four of five of us on this call being intentional in what you do and being deliberate in how you approach those things that's coaching i mean that's that's one of the ethos that we can definitely give back to kids and veterans alike yeah one one of my favorite things that uh i don't remember who said it and where it came from but uh you know it, it is it is that the the game of rugby doesn't teach character it reveals character and I can go back through the history of all my players over the last eight years, and I can I can watch them play and know what they're going to be in life, know how successful they're going to be, know whether or not they're going to go to college, work their butt off and go through college, get a great job going on, or get a job right out of high school and excel, or they're going to go to college and fail out and then come back here and wander around with odd jobs at McDonald's or, or whatever. It, it's it, it's revealed in how much work you said, like Mike said. I mean, you, you don't just show up. You show up and you do something. You know, it's about honing your craft. You know, it, it's uh, a willingness to want to put in that extra effort to become better and better. And I mean, this is either through individuals who are on active duty or once they get out, you have to constantly keep learning, reading books, listening to podcasts, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, attending classes in order to keep honing that craft and honing those skills and, and like you said, those people that you don't see doing that, you can identify them right off the bat. They're not those individuals that really want to excel. They just want to get by or they want somebody else to carry their load for them. Well, complacency shows. I mean, and I think that, you know, taps into what Otis was saying as well, that when you, when you see somebody just show up, you know, either in the professional world or the sporting world or in school or complacency and, and just lack of effort and initiative shows. And, you know, for, for guys like Mike and Otis, you know, and Robert, you guys all retired out of the military and you've seen, you know, troops at all different levels from conventional to special operators to whatever, you know, having that experience to guide you and that lens to look at what these, these young kids and, and these young entrepreneurs are bringing to the table that allows you that unique perspective to give them feedback and it, it almost is is criminal if they're not taking it because that's a that's a hell of a lot of experience to tap into and it's absolutely worthwhile and i, I was in san antonio with otis and, and kind of sat back and watched and mentor a couple of guys you know kind of unofficially um young veterans and and it was awesome to see the respect that they had for otis and otis i'm not trying to like stroke you off here but it was awesome to see you know that the respect and the um just the absolute reverence that they put into you know his career and his his abilities and, and his knowledge that he had and so if if these guys can kind of shed that um 
burden of, you know, I know everything. I'm too cool for school. I don't need to learn anything else and, and go back to what Robert said and actually be a continuous learner and pick the brain of somebody who has different unique experiences than you do. That's going to enable you for success way more than, you know, listening to a podcast or, or joining the John Maxwell leadership group and going through a three day seminar or whatever else. Right. I mean, it's, it's actually trying to learn and being a continuous learner, which we all embrace it is just who we are. Yeah experience in in the right places and i'm just curious otis in, in terms of on the rugby field when you when you have a leader on the team one of the teammates does he look like the best player or is he the one who can understand everyone else the best uh the latter the the best the best leader just just like in the military i mean and, and anywhere else you know uh the guy that i replaced on the team used to pick the best athlete the best rugby player but that wasn't the best leader and that developed when you have the best rugby player, but he's not the best leader. What happens is the leader shines through because there's, there's always a player or two who steps up just like in any other organization. You may have a company commander who's the army says is in charge. Whereas that first sergeant is the one who's running the show or even the XO. They're the ones that are truly running the show for that figurehead. And that same thing happens in that respect on the rugby pitch is you got a boy who is a great rugby player, but he's not the leader. He's not setting the example through his work ethic. And one of the things I, I always tell my boys when I select them as, as a captain for the year is, is they're going to have the hardest job they'll ever have in their life because now they're in charge of their peers. And the boys who get that and understand that and excel at that, the teams come. The team comes together and becomes a team and not a group of players. So yeah. that, that's a special thing to have happen. Yeah, when you see somebody that actually takes over as a, a leader or a manager in that type of role against their peers, you, you really find out what kind of individual they are. And in many cases, if they're the individual that was leading anyway without the title, it's going to be a smooth transition. But those who weren't leading without the title and felt that now they have the protection of being, um, you know, an NCO, an officer or something that they can now hide behind and use that as some way to command that authority, they're not going to be as successful. I'll tell you something else, Brian, often, often that best athlete, not that he's incapable of, uh, of leadership qualities, um, but that he's got other pressures on him on a team. And, and sometimes that's self-imposed. Sometimes mm. those pressures are to, to perform better because maybe he's, you know, a, a gifted athlete where um, an, an uncommon leader will appear who is just that consistent, hardworking uh, and, and trustworthy individual who shows up every day that the team starts to, to form around. Um, I, and I, I, I had both kinds on, on my team, but, but often that star athlete is uh is concerned about too many other things than than taking care of the rest of the team which uh and honestly what i, I like to see a good hard-working lineman offensive lineman uh to come in and, and 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 show himself as a team leader because those guys are really the workhorses for us yeah you know it's one of those old sayings i think we've mentioned it before everything starts and ends in the trenches when you think about you know football especially um, but that really, again, is relatable to a lot of different things because 
you know, again, if you're if you're the guy that's getting their hands dirty, you're not sitting up there behind your desk in your ivory tower, and you're actually out there along with the troops and putting everything in, and you're facing um, the adversities <clears throat> or the challenges up front firsthand, then you're the individual that's going to have the most experience and be that person that should be stepping up as a leader if you have those types of uh, traits and qualities. I'll, I'll even flip it over into, uh, you know, Green Berets. What do we what do we do? I, I always refer to it as our job is to work ourselves out of a job. Our job is to deploy to country X, train them in how to sustain and operate their mission and be successful in their mission. And then we go home. That's, that's the job of a green beret. It's not to be in the forefront. It's not to be leading that element that whether it's a host nation force or a guerrilla force, whatever the situation is, is to teach them and train them and prop them up so that they can become successful on their own. And then where our job is done and we go home. Yeah. And that, that's a good, I, I mean, that, that's a good way to think about moving into another line of work as well. That's, that's how I sell myself in education is, is by building partner capacity. And, and, in this, in this frame, my kids are my partners, right? My students or my, my players are my partners. So I have to prepare. I've got to set the scenarios. I've got to, to work them into um, or mold them into the shape that I want them to, 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 to form. And, and ultimately, they've got to be the ones that go out and perform it. Uh, Scott, you were mentioned earlier some of the stuff I've thrown up on Instagram, the videos and things. Uh, I, I that's that, that's when it works right. You know, when you can when you can set the stage and just kind of sit back and let these kids take off with it um, and watch them. Well, that's that's building partner capacity. That's that's showing um, you know uh, uh, thinking. That's showing you know no creativity. That's that's having them. For, for the last one, I put up analyzing primary source documents and coming up with their own solutions to a complex problem like Pearl Harbor. Um, but but again, anyone can take build partner capacity, who's a Green Beret, and I think frame that into to what they want to do and then sell themselves using that as the tool. Otis, I mean, all of you guys are a lot older than me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, again, like asking you questions. What are you talking about? Hey, don't worry, Mike. When I'm your age, it's going to be thick. This beard's insane. Um, Luscious. Yeah. <laughs> but now you all are like facilitating, you're building up. Um, I mean, what kind of what kind of like work does that take? Like to to expose somebody, does it is it quicker for certain individuals? But you know, I, I feel like the development into somebody being a leader is one of the more taxing kind of jobs in our society and needed though, extremely needed. So like what what's kind of your guys' drive and passion behind putting in that work and that time? for that noble mission well i mean i i I enjoy seeing other people be successful so whether whether they're one of my coaching clients one of my rugby players somebody who is on my team my oda i mean i think back to the guys on my oda and damn near every one of them and my second oda damn near every one of them became a sergeant major before they retired that that to me is I, i I'll take full credit. No, I, I mean, it was, uh, I, I'm, I'm tickled to death for him. And what it, what it is and what it amounts to is trusting the people that you hire, whether you're in a business or in the military, that guy that's on your team or in your division or director or whatever, you hired him for his skills and ability. 
if he can't do the job that you hired him for, then you need to move him away. You need to get rid of him. But when you hire somebody because they have the skills and the ability, then you need to entrust them to do their job. Let them do their job, set them up for success, and let them be successful. One word that I love there with that, I completely agree with you, it is 100, 110%, um, but it's comfort. I think that a lot of Green Berets, we especially after serving an ODA for any bit of time, you get comfortable in who you are, you get comfortable in your strengths, and you definitely get comfortable in your weaknesses. And you know that your brothers on your left and right have your back for they're going to support those weaknesses and help you overcome them and grow with them. But that's really lacking. And, and I've been around a thousand civilian organizations now. Um, both in America and Australia, both, but that's really lacking across the international spectrum. Um, and, and it's just that lack of comfort in who you are, what you can bring to the table. No, that's awesome. I, I just love hearing, I like, I know Robert, uh, we, we don't always try the interview type of stuff, but I love asking these questions because right now from my standpoint, you know, money and time are like the two resources that I look to eventually get some return on. Um, not always, you know, I'm, I definitely want to just like you know, be, be kind of open-minded with the ability to do whatever with both. But that's, that's largely what I try to do. And when you, when you're saying, you know, you saw these ODA guys become sergeant majors and stuff, didn't have that kind of you seeing them successful return, but you seeing the process of them get there and develop and grow was kind of like the ability to keep, you know, facilitating and setting them up for success. Um, So yeah, it's cool. I'm just trying to like draw parallels between what I'm doing and, and what you guys have done. Um, and well, like Joda said, you know, going overseas constantly in a combat environment or non-combat, J-sets or whatever, and working ourselves out of jobs by training people effectively, if you employ that same methodology to the civilian sector, right, and, and you help identify with civilians, you know, it's not an Iraqi or a Serbian or whoever that you're talking to, but it's, it's a fellow American, so there's no linguistic barriers, there's no cultural barriers, or maybe some to a degree, but when you can truly help somebody grow and work yourself out of a job with them as well by selecting the right people and then empowering them and doing all the stuff that Otis is talking about. That's where you become magical as a leader across the board, right? And so if you're an entrepreneur, by definition, you're trying to lead. You're trying to lead a new endeavor or a new company or whatever. You might be a leader of one or you might be a leader of, you know, 10 and it might explode like Uber and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a million people and an IPO and everything else underneath you. But at the end of the day, you've got to grow and scale appropriately and be comfortable in who you are surround yourself with those people that are better than you and, and that's an easy principle that i learned in soft that has carried me kind of a long way and given me a lot of tools from from my personal toolbox as well it's just be comfortable who you are know your strengths know your weaknesses and then you know look for people that can help you overcome your weaknesses or build upon your weaknesses so that they're less and and it just makes sense so that, that's that's sorry robert I- just uh, I remember what that train of thought was that I, I had earlier, and, and Scott helped uh, help Bill on it. But it's it's confidence as a leader. So if if I'm not confident as as a leader, then I can't trust the guys, the people that work for me. And that that's to me that's the bottom line. I have to be confident in myself, which means I'm confident. I can be confident in my people. If I'm yeah, not confident not. myself then I have to micromanage and get down exactly. and do it all myself. 
stole my word. As I say, when we when we're not confident and comfortable in, as ourselves and a leader, we start micromanaging and we get all these buzzwords, right? Like, well, that's just who I am. That's just my style. That's just you know my control level. I'm going, no, you're just flawed and you don't want to admit it. You know, if if somebody tells me and people wear that micromanaging thing like a badge of honor and it drives me insane because it's not like it's not a badge of honor. It means that you don't trust the people that you're surrounding yourself with and that you don't have any leadership abilities and you're not comfortable in who you are. So for me, it's three massive red flags in a minimal that are just waving, you know, like range flags, right? And I'm going, that's not a badge of honor. So how do we how do we inject comfort and competence in, in you know, um, ability in leaders? And so Otis, talk about, if you don't mind, your, um, your iPad coaching certificate, because I'm going to mess it up if I try to introduce it again, but the emotional levels and everything else, because uh, yeah, that's yeah. really coupling the green brain the leadership skills that you have as a former, you know, company commander and everything else in SF with this, this truly differentiates you as well. And it's impressive as hell. So, uh, IPEC, IPEC's founder, Bruce Schneider, uh, developed or, or analyzed seven levels of energy. Level one being victim in the corner, feeling sorry for yourself. Why does this always happen to me? All the way up to level seven, level seven being nirvana. I am, I am all, and I am what will be, uh, if you're familiar with the, the Japanese philosophy of Tao, uh, Nirvana, Tao, that, that's level seven. We are, we are all uh, together. Uh, and then you take those, those seven levels of energy and divide them into two categories, anabolic and catabolic. Catabolic being that negative energy that takes, it takes extra effort to survive in a negative state. And then anabolic energy being much more positive in a positive state. And the higher, you anabolic, higher your anabolic energy is, the more opportunities you see. And as you approach level seven, that nirvana level of energy, you get up to six, five, and six, you start to create opportunities. You don't just recognize them, you make them. You see something and you make it an opportunity, whether it's business or dinner or, or whatever, it becomes an opportunity because you're at a higher positive level and outlook on life. Now, that's not to say that the lower energies, the catabolic energies are bad. The catabolic energies are there for a reason. They're there to protect you. There's times when, yes, you need to feel like a victim. You need to whine and complain and get sympathy from other people. But you also have to have that self-awareness to know whether or not this is the right situation to be in a level one, a victim, or a level two, uh, a fighter, kind of that a level one, you're, you're a, I always lose. A level two is you lose, I win at all costs. And you could think of some leadership. You start to apply that towards leadership. You could think of some several times where a level two leader, that, that type of style is necessary. There's, there's many times, whether it's in business, uh, military combat, there's many times where, nope, this is the way we're going. This is what we have to do. I don't care what anybody else says. We're moving out. That's it. Right. That's a level two. Now, what happens to your team when you operate in that level all the time? You start to destroy the innovation and the desire to come up with new ideas and the desire to move forward as a team, because all you're doing as a team member is supporting what that leader is doing. So and I can I can go into the other levels, but just just know that the higher you are on the scale, the anabolic scale, 
the more opportunities you see, the more opportunities you can create. Would you say that the level two leader is also known out here at times as the toxic leader? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the guy who operates, so the guy or gal, manager, whatever, that operates in a level two is also always frustrated and right. pissed off, blames other people for everything. Uh, yeah, that's a, and it's, it's, it's talk. You're right. I mean, you're spot on. It's a toxic environment to operate in. Yeah. So much so that on occasion you end up having, uh, individuals that end up surrounding themselves as a, uh, with the people that they're very close with, and then they end up cutting off both subordinates, peers and leaders are, uh, around them. And their 360 spear that's supposed to be helping them or supporting them. And, and unfortunately they end up closing themselves off. Yeah. yeah, and I, I would say the organization that I separated from was largely, it had some of this toxic leadership and all of us team members were able, and like element leaders, uh, were kind of able to see different motives, you know, underneath it. It wasn't necessarily that it was the wrong person in the leadership role, but it was the wrong kind of task that our higher leadership had given them that we as a team didn't believe in. But that leader still like, you know, bought into it. He was put in that position. So he feels obligated. And that was being a level two is honestly kind of the only way to go about it. Hmm. And, th- and that's a tough place to be as a leader when you're when you're put into that situation where your boss tells you you got to do something. And you know that it's not necessarily the right way to do it or the best way to do it. And. You have to, you know, there's those times where you have to salute and say, yes, sir, three bags full and move out. Right. It's, it's that culture word, right? We're getting back to like either military organizational culture, you know, whether relaxed and soft to a degree or, you know, um, highly spirited, conventional, whatever. But in the civilian world, too, it's that corporate culture of just because the boss has an idea and, and you don't have a culture of communication and of, you know, nestling, you know, what you're doing at the tactical and operational levels with the strategic levels of the organizations. Right. That creates false or a real toxicity within that middle management areas. Right. So. The middle managers don't have the ability to stand up to the senior leadership and say, we shouldn't be doing these. And we know these, you know, projects, programs, tasks, operations are going to fail. But at the same time, the every employee in the organization feels that toxicity that radiates through. And, and so you have to get in there and, and vigorously remove that. And, and also you have to be self-aware enough to understand that maybe you are that toxic person that's driving negativity throughout your organization. And and just, you know, saying things like self-aware makes you feel like a hipster, right? Like I'm not going to go, you know, to a new coffee shop and whatever and, and listen to folk music, but, you know, just being self-aware and who you are and your strengths and your weaknesses and understanding what you're doing negatively to just get out of people's way, you know, create a culture to where the organization wants to thrive, not individuals. I think it'd be really good or helpful if you could go through Otis, the seven layers in case there's some individuals that are very curious about that, because I mean, you hit on the, the two far spectrums, but I think there might be people that find themselves in between as well, or leaders that they're serving under. Yeah, sure. So, uh, seven levels of energy, uh, and I got to give uh, credit to Bruce and, uh, the IPEC system, uh, for developing it. So level one, you're a victim. You have apathy. It's it's why has this always happened to me? Uh, you you just don't have that energy to get up and go do something because it's bad. It always happens to me. Level two, you're I refer to it as the fighter. 
It's the, I'm getting this done no matter what the cost is. I'm blowing through this. I am stepping on the backs of these people and those people because I am driving towards what I believe is best for me. Level three, you start to rationalize things a bit more. You start to, so you're starting to get into the anabolic state at level three. And you start to see that it's okay if you win as long as I win too. You know, um, it's, it's, it's okay, but I still have to win, but it'll be all right if you come along and win with me. Level four, and this is where you start to get into some real good leadership traits at a level four, because at a level four, it's about you winning. I'm going to do what I need to do to help you win. And that's also when you start to start, you know, you're still moving up that anabolic chain. You're starting to see more things. You're starting to have a lot better situation awareness. Your intuition starts to come into play. When you get into level five, level five is we're both going to win. This, this, is, this is about us winning at everything we do. And we start to see opportunities in all that we see. Everything that happens to us. I get a fender bender. And I meet the guy at a level five that that hit me. I might find out that hey, he 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 and I hang out at the same pub and we like to drink beer together, and now we're best friends. Yeah. Or I could be in a level one and feel why does why does somebody always hit my truck? Golly, man, this is ridiculous. Somebody's always hitting my truck. Or the level two, I get out and punch the dude in the face. Right. <laughs> right. You see, right. You know, as you move up and I start to see. So at level five, I'm, I'm seeing things. It's like, wow, look at that. That's I could do that. I could make that happen. I could solve that problem. Level six, it's it becomes we all win or we don't even play the game. There, there's there start. We start to have this level of uh, we create opportunities. We're not just seeing opportunities. We make them happen. And if, if we all don't win, we, then we all don't play. We're all together in this. And then at level seven, it's quite frankly, it's, what is there a game? There is no game. We're all here. We're all here together. And we're all seeing and being together. Does, does that help? Yeah, somewhat? absolutely. Do you find that individuals might bounce in between certain levels at certain times? Because, I mean, I can, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one of the neat things that uh, IPEC has, they have a, a energy uh, energy uh, assessment, energetic uh, leadership uh, index assessment is what it's called. And you it's, think of it like in a, a DISC uh, or a Myers-Briggs sort of thing. And you take this assessment, it comes back and it shows you where you resonate at each of the levels as a per- breakout as a percentage of, of your resonating levels in a normal sense excuse me and then the the real kicker is when they show it breaks out how you resonate when you have outside influencers so in a stress environment and what's really interesting to see with all the people whether myself my my classmates and i went through and my clients when we go through it is people will resonate in the you know primarily in the three, four, and five when nobody's influencing them. But when they get outside influencers, a lot of those same people drop down to level one. And what that tells you is, okay, so now I've got a trigger that's causing me to drop into a level one energy. 
So how do I handle that? What do I do? What choices do I make? Because that's where you are. That's your energy level. Your next choice is how you react in it. So what's, what actions am I going to take? Am I going to stay at level one? Or am I going to work my way back up the change in, chain into an anabolic state? And that dude just hit me. Holy crap. Uh, I'm pissed off. Uh, I feel sorry for myself. Now I'm pissed off. Then I get out and see, well, it's, it's a grandma and, and, you know, she had her grandson with her and he was sick and, you know, all these sort of things that, uh, that came into play. And so why am I judging her? Which is another whole aspect of, uh, of the program when you talk about non-judgment, the higher up in the anabolic state you get, the less judgmental you are of your state, yourself and the people around you. I think what's important that you just described too is that that whole attitude of whatever you throw out there is what you're going to get back. So if you're throwing out the level one or the level two, well, it's going to come right back at you because that's what you're putting out. Oh, you're spot on. Like energy attracts. That's what we that's what we like to say. So if I'm if I'm resonating at, at a five, everybody around me is going to start to have that feel that energy and pull it up. Or the people that that can't. So somebody who's still in a level one is going to drift away and be out of that peripheral. Yeah. So only in Colorado would you probably feel level seven in Nirvana and those states where. (laughs) Definitely. Well, I can, I can tell you there's, there's many a time up on the mountainside during hunting season, you know, up there, uh, it's cold, it's chilly, it's dark, and that sun starts to break that horizon. Boy, that's a level seven event every time. Awesome. Yeah, totally. I can see that. Heard that. But what, what we're talking about, too, in terms of leadership is that, you know, when you start staying at a specific level all the time and people start seeing that, or if you're a leader and you're actually starting to recognize, even more importantly, the people around you that are at a specific level, you've got to know those indicators and ways to bring them up and help them get to that next level because they might need somebody to come up and pat them on the back and say, hey, listen, um, we've got to get you to the next level. We've got to We've got to do something here to, to help you. Or they may not recognize that they're even in that level. No, that, that's that's true. And, and, you know, that's one of the things, again, as a leader, is you have to know your team. What are their strengths, weaknesses? What are their triggers? What happens if I put Brian in this situation? Is he going to excel? Or if I put Brian in, in a on a bouncy ball instead of a nice, comfy chair like this, is he going to really knock out that proposal? You know, I mean, whatever, whatever the situation, you know, whether it, whether it's an outside influencer uh, from an environmental effect or or even getting into internal impediments and internal things that uh, that can prevent you from succeeding and cause your triggers. And a large part of that is listening. Right. I mean, you know, you, you have to listen to the triggers and the events that people are giving you as a leader as well, because I might ask people like, hey, do you mind jumping on a sales call? And they might hate sales calls. You know, they might just want to get out there and or they might only want to do podium time in my world. Right. They want to teach project manager. They don't want to sell project manager or it might be flipped. So if I'm asking somebody to do something because I'm. I know of a need that I have internally and I'm trying to be the Dutch boy and plugging holes in the dam is, is opportunities are coming up. Right. Then uh, often I might not put the right person in that right 
position to enable them for success. And that's one of my biggest things is I always have to look back at myself and take a moment because Otis will tell you, like, I'm always going like, you know, a hundred miles an hour, but, um, <laughs> I, I have to, I have to sit back and go, am I doing the right thing here? Is it the right call? And so I'll call Otis sometimes just ask him, you know, Hey dude, what do you think about this? And just bounce it off of them because again, it's, it's just being comfortable and being self-aware that not every idea that you have as the leader is going to be the best idea. And you have to all of a sudden take the feedback, listen to it, not go into victimhood when somebody says like, no, Scott, that's a horrible idea. You really shouldn't do that at all. And, and actually, just be in tune with what the overall mission is right those strategic objectives and stuff and this it's amazing when you take a step back and just allow others to critique you and grow with it it makes you better i was in a i was in a situation today where i was just like got really excited about an idea and then made some rash decisions and thankfully i was able to clear it up really fast but uh <laughs> it could have delayed progress for about two weeks on what i what i've been working on for like Oh man, two years. I'm ready to execute some stuff, but my wife's nah, my sounding right board. She's probably got a, a book of Scott ideas that thankfully she <laughs> talked me out of doing. I mean, anything from iPhone apps to courses to books to articles. Oh, to, there's probably if she, I mean, she could sink me as a professional if she ever published like a, a written list of my bad ideas. The one thing that uh, we touched on a little bit too on the level twos, and and I just kind of heard it in Scott what you're describing there is that. Um, and I see a lot of level twos, by the way, out there. They just may not recognize that they're level twos. But I, I see where they actually, when you start thinking of strengths and weaknesses and such, so many people try to help people get beyond their weaknesses and they don't realize that it, it may be futile. It might be better for you to just you know, recognize that it's a, it's a weakness, but they bring much more to the table in terms of their strengths and allow them to really shine in doing what they do well. Well, even the very word, right? And I use it intentionally when I say everybody has strengths, which is a very positive word, and everybody has weaknesses, which is a very negative word. Because it, and so I've been asked, especially in Australia, a thousand times, like you should really change weakness into something else. We talk to people, Scott. I'm like, why? It's the best word for. It. And if you can't admit that you have a weakness then we should probably just stop talking now because I don't know how else to help you or whatever because you're perfect and you don't need help. And so people wear level two is a, is a badge of honor and they wear it, you know, like they're perfect and whatever. And in reality, that's a starting point, right? I mean, that's that's a getting up in the morning early and feeling sorry for yourself for 10 seconds before, you know, your dog licks your face and you realize that life's not half as bad as it could be, right? I mean. So Otis, what are some of the ways in which people can learn more about this whole IPAC and maybe even take the survey that you were describing? Uh, well, the, uh, there, there's two ways you can go, go on to IPEC and become an IPEC coach like I did, or, uh, you can hit my website, uh, lto-enterprises.com and, uh, send me a message and we can set up a, a sample coaching session and go through that and talk more about the energy levels and see what the, the, uh, desire is to learn more. I mean, because one of the things that I, I focus on uh, as, as a coach, when people ask me, well, who's your client? You know, what industry of this, that, and the other? And I, I really don't have an industry, but what I have is a type of person that that is already successful, but wants to get to that next layer of success, wants to hit the next level, break through where they are, whether they've plateaued or they feel like they've plateaued. Those are the kind of people that I help. I help them understand how to how to tap into those energy levels and build their plan and go forward with it so i'll tell you this robert i've been working together with otis for 
what Otis six seven months now. I mean, yeah. how long have we done yeah. each other? Yeah, six seven months. Um, if it matters to anybody who listens to this podcast, I've been around you know Fortune five hundred companies, Fortune ten companies, military, Green Beret, whatever. Um, I unhesitatingly recommend talking to Otis and going to his LTO Enterprises website and, and looking him up because it, I learn. I work with Otis and I learn from him every time we talk about something. So um, again, this isn't a a paid plug for Otis or whatever, but um, <laughs> you're going to learn and you're going to you're going to get some benefit out of talking to him and having him coach you. And, and so I'm on LinkedIn. I probably I've sent a couple people his way from LinkedIn, but again, unhesitatingly, if you're even remotely interested in bettering yourself as a as a business person or entrepreneur, he's going to do you much better than a other consultants out there um and again he's he's a passionate guy as well so it's uh it's good i'm, I'm one, of, one of the Otis is being too much of a silent professional so i had to make yeah. sure that i corrected it <laughs> <laughs> Dude, i'm, I'm a quiet professional but i feel like that that plug was for me like yeah this is legit i've learned a lot in this podcast so thank you that's awesome. Glad yeah. to hear that, bro. I think what uh, a lot of veterans don't realize is that um, there are people out there like yourself, Otis, that's willing to lend a, a hand and kind of pay it forward. And, you know, I think we need more of that. And what you talked about in service and we talked about on the phone is that um, at times, you know, you don't do this necessarily. You got to pay the light bills and everything else, but it's about um, really trying to pay it forward and help others. And that's one of the things that's really about a true leader. Um, you know, you can be out there and and be an individual that's all about yourself, but you're going to find yourself somewhere else on this lower level of these seven, as opposed to being more in the top, like yourself, uh, where you're you're trying to pull others up to where you are. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a it's enjoyable. I, I will say that. And there's uh, you know, it, it just goes right back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, seeing somebody else get it. I mean, right from right from my young rugby boys, these high school boys, the majority of them never ever played the game, and watching them get it, and as you coach them and and see them get it, and and same thing with my business performance clients, talking to them and and saying, hearing them switch on and, and go, ah, oh, man. Nobody's ever said it that way to me before. I've never looked at it from that direction. Now, it, it, those sort of things, uh, I, I just get uh, great satisfaction out of that. So hopefully everybody will come look you up. Well, what's the actual website? Um, uh, dash, LTO Dash Enterprises. I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to not put the dash in there. Because <laughs> it'll be like L-Tone Enterpr- Enterprises or something. It'll be all yes. one long, long so ass word. Try to make it into one word. How do you say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's Algonquin. It means uh, the good earth. Yep. Is, is there a contact you form or something like that that's on there, Otis, or is there a way? There is. Or, okay. I mean, my, my email is, is simple. It's Otis at LTO-Enterprises.com. And he's on LinkedIn as well. Final yep. plug of the day. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, yep. All right, man. Appreciate you coming on the show, Otis. We'll definitely have to have you back in. We can talk another hour on this topic. That's great. Great. I enjoyed it, guys. Uh, y'all have a great evening, and thanks thanks for uh, letting me talk. You bet, man. Thanks, Otis. Appreciate your time. Y'all take care. You too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. 
Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.